Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Live Wire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. We're talking about living the dream this week. And not the kind of dream where you've been in a college class you didn't know you were signed up for until test day, and also you don't have pants on. Uh, Not that kind of dream. The kind of dream that is attained through hard work and dedication, and and maybe a little bit of luck. First up, Caitlin Kunkel on her book writing dreams coming true. She's one of the authors of New Erotica for Feminists. Plus, we're going to hear some stand-up from Ian Carmel. He's the head writer for The Late Late Show with James Corden. Also, Al Letson from the radio show Reveal will stop by. He probably had to pinch himself when he won a Peabody and an Emmy from the show. Then we're going to hear some dreamy music from Laura Gibson. All of our dreams are about to come true because the Livewire house party gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Hi, Luke. How's it going? Not too bad this week. Um, Are you someone who remembers your dreams in the morning when you wake up? No. I often have a joke with my other nonfiction writing colleague that people who write nonfiction don't remember their dreams. And because all the (laughs) fiction writers and poets are always like, oh, you were in my dream last night and you had fins. And the nonfiction (laughs) writers are like, no. How about you? Me neither. Ah! Every once in a while, I'll be startled in the middle of the night. And I think it I wake up close in close enough proximity to having had a dream that I kind of remember it. Oh, right. But yeah. I, I'm not one of those people who who wakes up in the morning and has this vivid memory of my dreams. And I feel like I'm really missing out yeah. on whatever kooky stuff my brain's doing. I like interpreting other people's dreams, though. So what I lack in my own dreams, I make up for in bossing other people around about their own dreams. Can I introduce you to a number of people I have been in relationships with? Because those people <laughs> loved talking about their dreams to the point where sometimes I'd be in trouble over something that happened in a dream. <laughs> you know, this seems like a great time to get the show started. Elena, are you ready to do our radio program? Absolutely. Molly, has it always been your dream to record this episode of Livewire? Well, yeah, it's a dream come true. Ooh, right. pincher. Take it away, Elena. <laughs> From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire House Party. This week, comedian Ian Carmel, the host of Reveal, Al Letson, and satirist Caitlin Kunkel, with music from Laura Gibson. 
I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of LiveWire, Lou Burbank! All right. Thank you so much, Elena. Thank you, everybody out there uh, in radio land. Uh, as we do each week, we ask the LiveWire listeners a question. We asked in a sentence, what is your dream life? I feel, Elena, like... Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a lot of aspirational, <laughs> a lot of hopeful thinking. Yep, yep, yep. I wonder why. Because that is a thing you can do while you are staying home and being safe. You, of course, your mind can travel anywhere. Yes. Um, we got those uh, responses from the audience. We're going to read those in a minute. First, though, I wanted to ask you, Elena, uh, in a sentence, what is your dream life? Does it have to be a complete sentence with like a subject, a verb, a direct object, or can it be a sentence fragment? You're the English professor so I feel like you can just do whatever you want. I'm going to believe that it's grammatically correct. Okay. So I'll do a complete sentence. Okay. Dig, if you will, the picture. <laughs> Cliffside kitten ranch by the sea with bottomless margaritas and unlimited nachos. Also, oh, semicolon. Also, <laughs> my only job is jumping out of cakes, period. Wow. What do you think? Huh? That 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 just totally checks out with the person I know you to That's be. That's exactly what I want. <laughs> and I live next door to you. I live next door to you. And I come over but all the time. for some reason, we still do the radio show from <laughs> closets in our houses. I don't know why. Maybe we just get into that. I feel like my jump out of a cake dream has mm -hmm. always been my dream. And it's always mm -hmm. been like, ha ha. But now that this pandemic has been going on for so long, I think I kind of have to make it a reality once we're all out and about. I want to promise you right here on the radio, Elena, that when we are allowed to get back together in large groups and record this radio show, we will find a cake that you can jump out of. What about the Cliffside Kitten Ranch? Can you make that happen? That's a little bit of a, a bigger ask. Okay. But I think the cake we can definitely handle. <laughs> I think for me, my dream life in a sentence is figuring out a way that whatever is happening in my life, I am able to be present and joyful about that. That's like a, a good dream to have. <laughs> well, because the thing is, my, most of my adult life has been lived in this fashion where I have this image in my mind of my perfect dream life and what it looks like mm -hmm. and, and who's there and what I'm wearing and what, you know, all these little elements. And I keep thinking if I can just make that snapshot happen, then mm -hmm. everything's going to feel great. Mm -hmm. And then I've, you know, I've gotten pretty close to that snapshot at times and it never quite... <laughs> <laughs> felt like I thought it was going to feel. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that maybe a better approach for me anyway would be to just figure out like whatever is going on, how do I find joy in that? Mm -hmm. And then that can be my dream life. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's definitely seems like it's a more affordable way to go. Definitely. Like if you're, if your mood board or whatever has like, <laughs> like a, a Frank right. Lloyd Wright mansion in it. Um, right. Or you With could- With a Lamborghini parked in front of right. it. With for some reason, one of those red bows <laughs> that people only use in car commercials yeah, oh, to I give each those. other cars. Ah, what a dream. What is the Livewire audience saying uh, their dream life is in a sentence? Here's a modest one from Lydia. Lydia's dream. A reality with no shared walls and my own laundry room. Um, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, do you remember the first time that you didn't have to go somewhere to do your laundry? Yeah. That's such a big deal. Also, laundry rooms in apartment buildings are the scariest 
rooms. <laughs> like, would it just kill the landlords of America to just paint the wall white? Maybe put up a, a hang in there, kitty poster or something. Oh, I love that poster. Just liven the place up because there is just something very, very unsettling about every apartment laundry room I've been in. Yeah. All right, let's uh, get our first guest on over to this house party. Uh, she has been the writer for this radio show for years. Um, she did not write this exact line that I'm reading right now. That would be weird. But uh, she has been writing for Livewire for a long time. She's also one of the authors of the book New Erotica for Feminists, which is super funny and also subversive. Uh, so take a listen to this. It's our chat with Caitlin Kunkel, quarterback in 2018 at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. Hi, Caitlin. (laughs) Welcome to Livewire. People are very excited that you're here. Wow. I am so excited to be here, too. Um, Tell me about how this book, New Erotica for Feminists, got started. I know it was a piece in McSweeney's. Mm -hmm. So with three other women, I run a website called The Belladonna, which is comedy and satire written by women. And we were just riffing in a uh, G-chat one day, like we do most days, stealing time from our jobs. We were talking about potential ways to monetize the site, and someone joked that they don't know how sponsorships work. And they said, oh, I I think it's just that Tom Hardy pulls up at your house with a box truck full of LaCroix and drops it off and plays with your rescue dog, and that's that. (laughs) And from there, someone said, oh, that sounds like porn for Brooklyn women. (laughs) And just like right away, when you have a good comedic idea like that, that a lot of people can riff off of, we started to just write jokes like crazy. Then we all did just like stop working for the rest of the day. (laughs) And we just wrote a ton of jokes. And within a day, we had a piece. We sent it to McSweeney's. And two weeks later, a million people had read it. A million people? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it's time for over 500 people to hear it on the radio. (laughs) Could you read us the piece? Yes, I'll read you. I just basically paraphrased the the first one, but I'll read you one that I wrote that is very close to my heart. Okay. The pizza delivery car pulls up outside. It's right on time and so, so hot. (laughs) The delivery guy hands it over with an appropriate smile and says, enjoy. I hope you're not sharing it with anyone if you don't want. I believe everyone is in control of their own bodies and should never be shamed for what they decide to eat or not eat. (laughs) He makes no effort to come inside because that would be weird and alarming. (laughs) I smile and give him a reasonable tip for his normal behavior as I shut the door. Time for the crown. (laughs) Kaylin Kunkel reading from New Erotica for Feminists. This thing took the internet by storm. It did. What was that like for you as a, as a writer, uh, you know, to be part of this group that created something and then all of a sudden it is just, as they say, going viral? It, well, we write all the time, but none of us had ever had something go this fast, like wildfire. We started to get messages like, oh, it's being shared in my mom group with 800,000 members. It's being shared... I learned there's apparently many Jeff Goldblum fan groups on Facebook. Like you say that like it's surprising. Well, we, someone said it's being shared in my group, and then someone else on Twitter was like, oh, I just put it in mine, and we we're like, there's more than one? <laughs> so we wrote Jeff Goldblum into the book at that point. Had you, have you gotten any indication of if he knows he's in the book? 
I mean, we tag him on social media pretty much constantly, but we've yet to get a response. <laughs> um, so after, after the piece, like, became super popular on the internet and among many Jeff Goldblum-related entities, <laughs> you guys got a book deal. We did. Um, and, and so then you are, all of a sudden, you got to take this thing that was, uh, you know, sort of short essay and turn it into a whole book. And you're doing it with three co-authors. Yes. <laughs> what was that process like? Uh, well, they say if you don't have enough time to think about how hard something is, you just kind of plow forward and keep going. So we got an email um, from an editor in the UK saying, hey, have you considered turning this into a book? And two days later, we had a lit agent, a deal in the UK. Two weeks later, we had a deal in the US. And then it was March 24th, and they were like, great, this book is due June 1st. <gasps> oh. And you also continued writing whatever three funny things I say per show. <laughs> This is Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're playing a conversation with the writer Caitlin Kunkel, recorded back in 2018 at the Alberta Rose Theater. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we'll be back with much more. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank at my house, along with Elena Passarello, who is at her place. Let's jump back into our conversation with the writer Caitlin Kunkel, recorded back in 2018 at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. She was talking about her book, New Erotica for Feminists. So we've picked this this theme of living the dream, and here you are, like you you writing things, writing funny things, and then all of a sudden you are part of this group that writes a funny thing that becomes like huge on the internet. Millions of people read it. Then you get a book deal, and now you have to actually like write the book in mm -hmm. a month or two. We wrote. We had about three months to the first draft, and then we had about a month to edit. So what we did is we, so the book starts off, every single vignette starts off like erotica, and then it flips into a comment on something in society that we wish was not a fantasy. So <laughs> equal pay, equal representation in Congress, you know, not having to worry you would lose your job if you get pregnant. So we started a document that was just erotica stuff. So <laughs> certain words, certain scenarios, firefighters, cops. Uh, a lot of words like throbbing went into that document, and then we started a You document. rarely see like throbbing and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. All in the same 
fantasy. I mean, you know, again, everybody gets to like what they like, but you were bringing together what have been historically thought of as kind of not related ideas, I guess. Yeah, we joke that like the angry feminist isn't typically like an erotica character. But can you read another one from the book so people can get a, a and you know, just anything with throbbing in it will do. Or RBG. Yeah. <laughs> so this is from, from the workplace section. She's such a MILF, the venture capitalist says, staring longingly at the woman, striding confidently out of the conference room. Seriously. Our CFO gives a long, drawn-out whistle of approval. Now that is a mom I'd like to fund. Her user acquisition and retention rates are simply unparalleled. Nice. So that one is... So we have the erotica doc, and then we have the rage doc, where we write down everything we're mad about in the world. I worked in that one mostly. <laughs> and one of the things was, you know, I don't know the exact stat, but something like only 2% of venture capitalist funds go to companies funded by women. So we want to touch on things like that. And when they are funded, they're at much lower rates than companies started by men. So we would combine the erotica doc with the rage doc and go from there. <laughs> That was like how you generate, it's almost, I, mean, I don't want to say it's an algorithm because that, that like acts like it, you guys weren't working creatively on it, but it was somewhat algorithmic like that. I don't read a lot of erotica, so I needed to, I needed some words to kind of like get me going with each one. Um, and then some of the other co-authors, Carrie, Fiona, and Brooke, they were really good at like massaging my angry screeds into like kind of sexy things. <laughs> <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work. That's kind of a, a bit of feminist erotica in itself, right? Yeah. A rage-filled a rage woman, uh, and then her sisters come and massage her rage into beautiful art. <laughs> Honestly, that, that is erotica. That's what I want. Um, we're talking to Caitlin Kunkel. She is one of the authors of the new book, A New Erotica for Feminists. I was reading the book, like, last week, and I have to say that because the word uh, erotica is uh, prominently displayed on the cover, mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't want everyone at the Sabaro in Denver, to th don't judge me, to think I'm just reading regular erotica in a public place. Have there, has there been any misunderstanding about what the book is about because of that word being part of it? I think so. We do have a subtitle on here, Satirical Fantasies of Love, Lust, and Equal Pay. Um, my sister, and there's a very sexy slice of pizza on the cover as well. We did. We debated with like what that icon should be to show like it's not actually sexual. So we went through like a bunch of things that seemed too sexual. And eventually I was like, well, I think the hottest thing is pizza. And yeah. it went on the book. <laughs> um, my sister was buying the book down in Florida and an older gentleman in line, I guess, saw the cover and said, oh, I guess people just buy that in the open now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> But she very nicely explained to him what it was, and he said, that sounds great, congratulations to your sister, and then they worked it out. <laughs> uh, is it your goal with this and, and your co-writers, is, is it the goal to actually change some culture with this book? Definitely, and we actually end with a section called 14 Ways to Make Our Fantasies a Reality, because we do think it's important, well, obviously, it's a book of jokes, we want you to laugh. We've had some people read it and say at the end, you know, I read it and I laughed, and then I felt really sad afterwards, because there are things in here that shouldn't have to be fantasies. So one of the things in here is a 50-50 Congress, gender balance, and you read that out loud and people laugh hysterically, and then you stop and think, why is that so outrageous? 
So I do think there are ones in here that we hope that people will think like, why is that something so far out of our reach? Why can't it be a thing we actually have, like good parental leave? Um, we go back and we look at some Bible stories and historical women in history, and we kind of recenter them in their own stories. So in our book, Juliet lives to be 98 years old, and she's a youth counselor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we hope that it will cause people to both like examine the current day and things that they could do to maybe change things. And even the four of us as very feminist writers, we run a feminist website. Um, there were times when we realized that our own perceptions were not big enough. They weren't feminist enough. And we had to try harder to like be comedically exaggerated. Were those hard conversations to have within your group? Because it's one thing to think of yourself as being a feminist or being as, you know, as progressive and as big minded about things as you can be. And then somebody like checks your lack of doing that. And it must be like, can you save that for like the enemy? Like, how can you be, how could you be saying that about me in this Google chat? I think it's good, actually. I think we all have blind spots and areas where we're like, oh, yeah, I got that. I don't have to worry about that. I understand what's going on, you know, in gender parity. Um, and then I would read some stats, or one of the other women would be like, well, the vignette you wrote isn't accurate because of blank. And I would be like, oh, okay, damn, I need to do some more reading. Um, there's one in here that is very controversial. Um, it's about someone pushing an elevator button, and it lights up, and then a man comes up behind them and pushes the button again just to make sure. And when we talk about that, you see like a lot of the people in the audience blank face, and then you see like six people be like, that happens to be every single day at my office. And I've asked my coworkers to trust that I know how elevators work, and it hurts my feelings every single day, and I don't know what to do. Wow. So that was one that it seems small and silly, uh, but people, we know how to use elevators. <laughs> Caitlin Kunkel, everyone. The book is New Erotica for Feminists, Satirical Fantasies of Love, Lust, and Equal Pay. That was Caitlin Kunkel, recorded back in 2018, right here on Livewire. Uh, an update on our friend Caitlin, who is also the writer on this show a lot of the time. Uh, since we did that interview, she has co-founded the Satire and Humor Festival, which, as you might imagine, is all online right now. Uh, she also has a recording of her topical satire workshop uh, that is hosted through the writing school Pandemic University. <laughs> Which I figure is a probably relatively recent yeah, outfit. Yeah, well done. And uh, you can go check that out online right now. Go check out Pandemic University. Hey, special thanks this episode to Elizabeth Avitu and Chris Tawney of Portland, Oregon. Elizabeth and Chris are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting our show with a donation each month, which is how we are able to keep the program going. So a huge thanks this week to Elizabeth and Chris. This is the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, as we like to do each week, we ask the Livewire audience a question. And the question this week was, in a sentence, what is your dream life? I feel like a lot of us have been really Walter Middying it hardcore <laughs> as, we, as we stare out the James window. James Thurber reference. And, well done. And dream. I was thinking of the Ben Stiller movie, but okay. Oh, um, good too. We'll just assume that I read the book. <laughs> um, so what is the Livewire audience saying uh, is their dream life in a sentence? 
Oh, I love this one from Keeper ICT. Keeper's dream is to play live music in front of an audience and have them sing the lyrics back. <gasps> Right? Can you imagine how you, if you work on a song, you try to make it amazing, you slave over it alone in your room, and then one day you're at like Wembley Stadium and like 7,000 people are just singing the words you wrote right back into your face. I can't think of a more uh, kind of rewarding feeling as an artist Mm-mm. than uh, a, whether it's a small club or a huge stadium full of people singing lyrics back to you. That almost never happens at public radio shows. No. I keep waiting for people to, to, to mouth the lyrics of Livewire back to me yeah. during the show. All right, what's uh, another dream life that one of our listeners is dreaming of? Okay, now this one is anonymous. Um, so right. I've decided that a famous person wrote it. Okay. My ideal life would be a global dance party. Huh? Huh. Did you write this one, Elena? Because no, and you're I th- you're kind of a celebrity now in the world of public radio. <laughs> That's right. By by our uh, noted listener Tony Passarello, aka my dad. I think. Uh, well, sure. I mean, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. Uh, he is a killer dancer. Really? Yeah, he's he knows how to shag. Do you know how to shag? Um, I don't know if we're on in the UK, <laughs> but if we are, I want to clarify that uh, dance move you can do out here. My mom is a is still a pistol. Hmm. On the dance floor. I mean, she can really cut it up, Susie Burbank. So we need to have a global mom and dad mm-hmm. dance party is what it sounds Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Okay, one more from uh, our listeners, A Dream Life. Okay, I think you're, you particularly are going to like this one. It's from okay. Tracy. Tracy's dream, to be one of the young couples on House Hunters that has a $5 million <gasps> budget and fun jobs that are really just hobbies that don't make any money and they live happily ever after. <laughs> I uh, have a lot of thoughts about that one. Um, <laughs> that that would be great. I was very let down though when somebody informed me that on that show, that particular HGTV show, because it's the people are looking at a few houses and then they just buy one. That would make no sense from a practical standpoint, just right. with how buying a house works. Yeah. So the great likelihood is that the people that are looking for these houses have already decided on the house they're going to buy. They might already own the house. Oh, wow. Meaning that the other house they're looking at is just for television. I, I, Elena, when I tell you I was Aww. devastated by that news. <laughs> you, so when they when they go out to that not open restaurant and drink water and debate it and you just see like <laughs> yes. half drunk glasses of water, that's yes. not real? <laughs> I don't think they're really deciding what house they're going to live in. And again, the sad part is that that was a really bad week for me when I learned that mm. I had been being lied to through television. Because I have a lot invested in those real Forget estate Forget it. Shows. Just repress it. Just okay. let it be whatever you want it to be. Okay. Uh, this is the Live Wire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello. Uh, let's keep this party going with a little comedy. Uh, our next guest is, and I know this from having hung out with him, the life of pretty much every party. Uh, he is someone whose dreams have taken him from Beaverton, Oregon, all the way to your television set where he frequently appears on the James Corden show. He's a performer on the show. He's also the head writer. Uh, let's take a listen to some comedy from Ian Carmel, recorded in 2018 at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. Hello, Portland! Yeah! Portland, Oregon, top of the food chain where champions are born. Give it up for yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah! a girlfriend which is weird because I look like I'm in the middle of a real bad breakup 
It's good to have a girlfriend when you're a guy like me because you get exposed to all the wonderful soaps that women have. <laughs> women have much better soap than men. Men's soap is terrible. Men's soap isn't even ever named after anything that smells good, you know? Men's soap is all named after violent ideas. Every soap for men, its name is like Arctic Blast or Desert Storm, right? Or, or like, I've never seen my father cry and my son will never see me cry. Yeah. It's, it's soap, though. <laughs> Even if they do name, like, uh, men's soap after something that smells good, they can never just call it the thing that it smells like. If a men's soap smells like roses, they can't just call it roses. They have to, like, masculine it up. They have to call it, like, broses, right? <laughs> bro roses. <laughs> I don't ever want to smell like bro roses. Bro roses sounds like a nickname that they use for herpes at Oregon State University. <laughs> Oh, dude, you hear about Chad? No, what? He got bro roses. <laughs> oh, no. Which Chad? <laughs> there's a lot of Chads, folks. The crux of the joke is there's a lot of guys named Chad. You get it. I like having a girlfriend. I don't have to use any of my old dating tricks anymore. I used to have schemes that I would use, you know? Because I know what I look like. Like, I'm a handsome guy, but I'm a fat, handsome guy. I'm a handsome, I'm a handsome fat, handsome fats. I'm a handsome fat, the legendary 1930s blues musician, handsome fats, that's me. <laughs> but I know what I look like. So here's the thing, after a couple of dates with a woman, usually what I would do is I'll text her a picture of me from when I was a cute little kid. Because I was a very cute little kid, and I'll send her that picture it's kind of like a genetic thirst trap, right? <laughs> Just to kind of be like, look, I know I messed it up. <laughs> However, knowing what we now know about corn syrup, <laughs> you and me could have a cute little kid, you know? <laughs> I'm glad to be off Tinder. Tinder will introduce you to brand new ways to get your feelings hurt that you didn't even know existed before. <laughs> I matched with a woman on Tinder and we were sending messages back and forth. It was very flirtatious and fun. I was very excited about it. And then she sent me the following message. She said to me, you're cute. You're like a chubby Jack Black. <laughs> Jack Black is a fat person. <laughs> She told me I was cute like the chubby version of a fat person. <laughs> and the worst thing is, she's right. She's 100% right. I do look like a chubby or Jack Black. It was a direct hit. Like, if you saw me on Us Weekly, you'd be like, oh, Jack, come on, dude, get it together. <laughs> I grew this mustache for fun, and it has been messing my life up. I'm Jewish. I'm 100% Jewish. Bar mitzvah and everything, and I don't look at, at all. I look so Italian, it's crazy right now. <laughs> I look like the guy on the cover of a pizza box, you know what I mean? It's like, Mwah, just like mama used to make.
I look like I've never had a meatball that was anything but spicy. You know what I mean? Like if the Olive Garden had bouncers. Your boy. Here's a weird thing in comedy, Portland, Oregon, and surrounding areas, and everyone who's listening. Now that certain people in positions of power and entertainment are getting in trouble for their terrible actions, people will come up to you and be like, uh-oh, are you nervous? You're a white guy. You're a straight white guy. They're coming for you, huh? Right? Right? Huh? You? They're coming for you. Aren't they? For you, though? They're coming. I don't know why my talking to a white guy voice is the whitest voice, but they're calling it. <laughs> it's so weird. People think like it's a bad time to be like a white guy in comedy. That's crazy. If anything, there has never been a better time to be a straight white guy. There has never been a better time to be a straight white guy. Because the bar... To be considered one of the good ones <laughs> is so low that you can step over it accidentally on your way to the floor length mirror that you use to pat yourself on the back. Here's how easy it is to be one of the good ones. Eminem is one of the good ones. Thank you so much, I've been Ian Carmel. Ian Carmel, everybody. That was Ian Carmel. You're on Livewire, recorded back in 2018. Uh, in addition to being the co-head writer of the James Corden show, which he won an Emmy for back in 2019. Uh, Ian has also appeared this past spring on the game show series Game On alongside host Keegan-Michael Key, Venus Williams, and others. So just putting that out there if you're looking for something else to watch, go check out Ian on Game On. This is Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, we're talking about dreams coming true this week. Our next guest has had a bunch of jobs. Uh, he was a flight attendant, a slam poet. He was a playwright. But he always had this dream of getting into public radio, and so he entered something called the Public Radio Talent Quest back in 2008, and he actually won. And so that got him into public radio. These days, he's the host of the Peabody and Emmy Award-winning investigative radio show, Reveal. Take a listen to this. This is our chat with Al Letson, recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater back in 2018. a lot of people here. I know you, you're usually hosting Reveal, which is this amazing uh, investigative radio show, but you're typically in a studio. A dark studio. Yeah, this is a real change of pace here. We got a bunch of people. There's a lot of live energy, but your background is as a poet, actor, yeah. stage performer. So I guess you're probably comfortable in this environment. I love being on stage. I'm a ham. I'm, I'm a middle child. I have to be on stage. Your dad was a minister, right? My dad was a, is a minister. My, da my dad is a minister, and my mom would hit me with a Bible still today if, if, <laughs> if, if I was around her and she didn't like what I said. Really? Oh, my God, yeah. She would, like, I mean, she's like quick draw McGraw way. 
The question really, though, is like, was it a King James? Oh, no, it was like one of those family Bibles. Is, oh, do you wow. remember back in the day when you had a Bible and you put all your family information in it? Yes. I mean, I know like Portland is not the most religious town in the world, but I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and like Bibles were Imagine like, like the Moosewood cookbook. <laughs> I'm trying exactly. to translate it go. for the Portland audience. There, thank you. I have no idea what that is, but I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to roll. So, yeah, like, I mean, like, it's like, a, it's, it's a big, big document. It's yes. heavy. And, yeah, oh, man, no, nah, she would light me up with it. It works. Um, you, you were, like I mentioned, you had a background in playwriting. You're a poet. Mm-hmm. And then you got into public radio through this thing that I'm going to be honest with you, when I heard about it years ago, I thought, that is a crazy idea that will never work. So and- that's what I thought, too. <laughs> like, I thought it was the most ridiculous idea. I Actually, when I... So, so I'm sorry, I cut your, your story That off. was it. But, but we should tell people it's called the Public Radio Talent Quest, mm-hmm. which, let's be honest, I work in public. It's sort of a little oxymoronic. But it was this sort of, uh, not to be reductive, it was sort of the American Idol of public radio. We would find some really awesome people and get them in public radio and get them a public radio show. And I thought, that's no way to find hosts. And they found you and Glenn Washington. Yeah, yeah. No, like when I first heard about the contest, I actually thought it was going to be a folk singing contest. Like, I, I, <laughs> I heard it was public radio's American Idol, and I thought there was going to be folk singing. But I, I got addicted to the gateway drug of, of uh, This American Life when I was younger. And, um, right? So they, uh, they had this contest. I entered. What did you have to do to progress through the various, like, uh, you know, rounds of this contest? It was, it was a lot. Like, I remember one of the big things we had to do is that we had to read a script live on air. Uh, and that was the one that freaked me out the most because I'm dyslexic. Um, and so I was really freaked out about it. But, you know, um, I'm the son of a preacher man, and it worked. Faked it till you made it? Damn right. I just made up words and kept going. No one knew. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then your, you, uh, your first show you had was uh, State of the Reunion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you have Reveal. What, what's the difference be- in, between those two shows? Oh, God. Like, State of the Reunion was Obama and all the hope, and Reveal is dealing with all the trauma of Trump. I mean, like, if you really listen to the two shows, uh, when I was doing State of the Reunion, it was all about uh, finding communities that were struggling through something and how people in those communities were making change. Um, We won a Peabody with it and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, You won a Peabody Award with that one. You just won a DuPont Award mm -hmm. for Reveal. What are you doing in Emeryville, California? I have to be really honest that uh, when it comes to Reveal, the people that I work with are amazing. I work with some of the best investigative journalists. So, you know. But, like, where do the stories come from? How how do you decide what is worth revealing and what isn't? Like, what's the editorial process? And what is your job as the host? Where we find stories, number one, is we get a lot of partners who submit stories to us. Uh, the biggest things that we think about as far as like what we're going to pick is what stories are going to have impact. Uh, we're thinking a lot about like the targets that we choose. Like right now, um, the episode out this week or last week was with uh, a reporter, Emily Schwing, who found out that the Catholic Church was sending priests who were abusing kids to native communities in Alaska. And then after they got kicked out of Alaska, they got to retire at Gonzaga University. 
And so for us, that's kind of like, uh, it sounds horrible, but that's the perfect reveal story, as in like we have a lot of impact going in there, like we're revealing things that people don't know about, uh, but also our targets are big. Um, because I think that like when you go for like smaller targets, you don't get as much impact, you don't get as much um, people talking about the, the type of work that you're doing. So, you know, that type of thing. That's what we think about a lot. And I think of my job as the host is kind of walking the audience through some tough stuff. Um, the way I use my tone in the show, I try to stand in for the listener. Like, for example, um, I was doing some vocals today before I, I came out here. And um, I don't know what I can say about this story, but the story just, it made me so ridiculously mad. But I can't put in the script, like, this thing makes me so ridiculously mad. So it's all about, like, fixing my tone so that the audience understands that, like, this is outrageous. And so that they can kind of wrap their heads around, like, where we're going with it. So I think about that a lot. So I, I try to be the proxy for the audience. And then when I have, um, like, contentious interviews, like, I've interviewed... Roger Stone, who Roger Stone was the hardest interview I've ever done. He is he is brilliant and evil. So you've got like those two things, you'll get lost because I mean there was at one point in that interview where I felt like I was drowning in the middle of the ocean. But you know, so like when I'm doing those type of interviews, it's really about like holding people accountable. So it's like two 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 things I'm thinking about a lot. Um, a lot of people found out about you actually not through your very successful uh, radio show, but because you were involved in this moment where you you sort of um, well you you dove on top of a white supremacist who was being beaten at an event. Can you kind of describe what exactly happened and what the aftermath of that was? This was a kind of a big story. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was in August of what 2017, I think. Charlottesville had just happened, and you know it was in the news. Everybody was talking about it. And uh, there was talk that there were going to be two rallies in Berkeley and in San Francisco. This is like two weeks later. And Reveal decided that we were going to cover it. But what happened is the um, white supremacists didn't really show up. Uh, what ended up happening was like a lot of people were out there protesting against white supremacy. So it was primarily a anti-racism. Uh, and there was a lot of Antifa people there as well. Um, I was standing there with Antifa, like, recording it, and then Joey Gibson from Patriot Prayer kind of runs towards them with his arms up. They start chasing Joey Gibson out of the park across the street. Joey gets pulled in by the police, and then I see this guy out of the corner of my eye who, uh, I didn't know who he was. He, he was just there with a the camera, and somebody uh, hollered, that's the guy, and then, like, Five or six Antifa jumped on top of him and started beating him with flagpoles and really, you know, I mean, they were putting it on him. And I, I just, you know, made a really quick decision and thought, like, this guy's going to die if I don't do something. And the next thing I knew, uh, I pushed somebody out of the way and got on top of him. And then somebody else came over and it kind of broke the spell and everybody let the guy up. I didn't know this at the time, but the guy that I protected, Keith Campbell, had been antagonizing Antifa for a really long time. If, if I had known all this information, I don't know if I would have done the same thing. Wow. Um, but, well, because like he was kind of asking for it. I don't think that anybody should get beat down in public like that. And I, if, if it was a one-on-one -on -one fight, I wouldn't have got involved. 
there's nuances to it. Like he wasn't like this. He went on Tucker Carlson acting like he was an innocent lamb for the slaughter, and that's totally like he was wandering true. through right. the park, exactly. And then for suddenly, a like, nose, and yeah. then suddenly was, and that's how he played it on 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 Tucker Carlson and any place else that would talk to him. But then you actually talked to him. I heard I, I heard you interview him after this whole thing, which was really powerful. Um, what what did you take away from that conversation? And, and as much as you can tell, what do you think he took away from the experience? Um, the thing that I thought about a lot is that in America, when we have a conflict that has race involved in it, what we always want is we want that kumbaya moment that makes us all feel good. Um, it makes white people feel like, okay, it's all fine and dandy, and it makes black people feel like we are giving and loving and blah, 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 and I reject that narrative. Like, I don't think we need kumbaya moments. I think we need to have hard conversations that make everybody uncomfortable and really dive through it. I, I, so when I talk to Keith, my number one thing is, like, he said to me, like, really tearfully and, and and honestly, and I appreciate him saying it, but he said to me, like, you saved my life. And at that moment, I thought, like, oh, this is where the kumbaya comes in. And I'm like, I know, let's hug it out. No, man. No, I'm not hugging it out with you. Like, you put both of our lives in danger because you're antagonizing this. And, you know, I'm just trying to be as decent of a human being as I possibly can. And so I, I didn't want to buy into that narrative. So to me, that interview was really about holding him accountable for what he had done. I think that that incident has not changed him at all. Because huh. um, he you know, accused me of being a plant. Like, like I was a part of Antifa and we all planned it out. And I just, wow. you know. So, it, so you put your life on the line for this guy, somebody who represented a really hateful ideology. And now, on some level, he's trying to kind of go back and change history on what your motivations were. Sure. Does that make you regret doing it? No, because, like, I mean, um, no, because, like, the, you know, my number one thing in kind of the way I'm looking at the world is that it's important that, for me, that I recognize his humanity, It'd be great if he saw me as a human being because Lord knows we need more of that. But I can't govern the way anybody else in the world operates. But I can control what I do. Yeah. That's Al Letson, everybody. The radio show is Reveal. Check it out. That was Al Letson here on LiveWire, recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater back in 2018. Just an update on what Al has been up to. Uh, he is working on a novel about a magical neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, in the South that's been optioned by a television network. Wow. And also, of course, uh, his radio show, Reveal, uh, their investigative work is is stronger and, you might say, Atlanta, more important than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in <laughs> <these> you think? <laughs> particular... <laughs> time stream we're living in so do go check uh, reveal out uh, wherever you get your podcasts or on your public radio station you're listening to live wire from prx we've got to take a quick break but don't go anywhere because we will be right back live wire is thrilled to be partnering with portland's own portal tea this season formerly known as tea chai tay Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest, and they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. 
Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portalt.co. Welcome back to the LiveWire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank, along with Elena Passarello. Our musical guest this hour is one of our favorites here on the show. She's been on a bunch of times. And uh, a while ago, she decided to live her dream, which was not just to be a successful musician, but to get an MFA in writing. So she went ahead and did that. And now she's put that skill and her musical skills on full display uh, with her latest solo album, Goners. Let's take a listen to Laura Gibson right here on Livewire Radio. This was recorded back in 2018. Walk away for tenderness. Hey, hey. 
mountain became something dark and hungry. Still the creek runs muttering your name. Now your face half lit, electronic. You no longer need to speak your sentiments. I no longer perform That was Laura Gibson, recorded at the Alberta Rose Theatre back in 2018. Uh, her latest album is Goners, and do check that out wherever you tend to get your music from. All right, uh, we are almost wrapped up for this week's show, but before we get out of here, we got to do a little preview of what's coming up next week. Uh, we are going to be celebrating the holidays by revisiting some of our very favorite guests uh, from this last year. I mean, obviously, it's been weird. There's been a pandemic. We've been doing the shows from home. <laughs> but we have been talking to a bunch of really interesting people like Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz uh, talking about their improvisational comedy special where they just basically do a one-hour play. Yeah. Just improvised. Yeah. I mean, Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so amazing. And so we're going to revisit that conversation. Also, we'll hear some stand-up from Atsuko Okatsuka, a really funny comedian out of Los Angeles, mm -hmm. um, who, since she was on our show, Elena, now I seem to see her popping up everywhere on TV and doing different things. Then we will have some music from the truly phenomenal Amethyst Kia. So do not miss next week's show. Also, because you might get to hear your name and your answer to our audience question on the radio, which is where our social media manager, Ariana Donneville, comes in. Hey, Ariana. Hey, Luke. How'd your gingerbread house turn out? Oh, yeah. It came out really cute. Oh. Very cute. I have a jacuzzi in the back. What? A what? fire pit, an Airbnb kind of attached unit. Yeah. A casita. I've, rent <laughs> I've actually rented smaller places on Airbnb when I've stayed in Manhattan. Um, uh, we have a listener question for next week's show, as we always do. What is the question? What was the naughtiest or nicest thing you did this year? Ooh, mm, naughtiest okay. or nicest. Right. Yep. We want to have options for all kinds of people. The Luke kind of people and the Ariana kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> Elena, somewhere in the middle, maybe. Yeah. Uh, what's the best way for people to send in their responses? Listeners can submit their responses on our social channels. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Livewire Radio, and we're also on Facebook. All right. So send in your responses. You might hear yourself on the show next week. Thanks, Ariana. Thanks, Luke. That's going to do it for our show this week. A huge thanks to our guests, Caitlin Kunkel, Ian Carmel, Al Letson, and Laura Gibson. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko. And Ariana Donneville is our marketing associate. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composed our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixed this episode. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the State of Oregon and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Lynn and Russell Butkus of Portland, Oregon. For more information about the show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, 
When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. From PRX.